Several years ago, I was in a meeting somewhere up north, and I was coming home one evening, one night, and coming down 75, saw the sign of Resaca. Hadn't been, Resaca camp meeting for a long, long time. And it was, it was in the evening, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go by the old campground and just, just drive around and see and, and what have you. It happened to be a week of camp meeting. I didn't know it. And I, I wasn't dressed for church or anything, but it was about church time. And so I, uh, I went in and sat down at that tabernacle and sat down in the back and just thought I'll just, I'll just you know, slip in and, and enjoy church and old time's sake and go home. And, and on the opposite end of the pew of me was an old gray-haired man and this old, old man. And I thought, man, man, he looks familiar. I, I, I just, I, I, man, I can't recognize him. I said, I know I know him. And Brother Sammy Allen got up and he said, it's good to have Brother Ed Ballou with us tonight. He said, Brother Blue, won't you come sing? And that old man got up and got up and he sang the unseen hand. And uh, that's kind of stuff you never forget the rest of your life. There are some songs that are timeless. They're just timeless. And it's an amazing thing. I've heard all these songs before. I'm free. I mean, I've heard that a hundred times. Unseen hand, I got it memorized. Still like it. Still like it. Great song, great song. It's good to be in church tonight, isn't it? Appreciate the Holy Spirit being here tonight, too. You know, if the Lord doesn't show up, it don't matter who comes. We ain't going to have church. When he comes, he comes. There are some times that you come to the pulpit and you think you have the message. There are other times you come to the pulpit and you know that you have the message. I just know that this is the message that God has placed upon my heart for this hour. You just, you just know that. And I have known. I've known since last night when I went home and this morning got up, I just, I just knew and I had, I had great hesitation about it. And the reason why is Brother, Brother, Brother Barnes got up and preached this morning, great message from Luke 15 on the prodigal son. Well, we've all heard sermons on the prodigal son. I don't know what else you're going to say about the prodigal son. It hadn't already been said about the prodigal son. But he preached a very familiar text and boy, God used it. In Romans chapter number eight, there's a verse that you know by heart. You've got it memorized. And I don't know if it's possible to preach anything new from Romans 8.28 that hadn't already been preached. I, I, I try to give you something new, original, smart tonight, but I don't know that I got anything. But there are some times in my life when I don't really need anything new. I really need something old. I just, I just, need, something, I just need God to help me. And, and my hesitation in my flesh is, is you're not going to be impressed with the message because you already know the message. You already heard it all. But I know it is the text that's on my heart for tonight. We're, we're careful at our church um, not to always every Sunday bring all the problems of the world into our worship service because when we come to church on Sunday, we want to come to church. We, we can Monday watch Fox News and see the world's burning down, but on Sunday, we just, we just want to be in church. But, but, it's, but it's unavoidable. You know that our world is in trouble tonight. It really is. 2020, boy, that's a year for the record books, isn't it? More, more trouble and more turmoil in 2020 than any year that I can remember. We had the pandemic hit, and when it started in March, most pastors like myself, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what we were dealing with. And a lot of churches have struggled with that all year long, still, still dealing with the repercussions of it. 
How do you handle the pandemic that you know is real, but yet you know it's hyped, so you operate on what's real? Really, how do you how do you operate? We've had people in our church die from it. I know that you have had as well. December, we had 21 cases at one time hit our church. So what do you do? What do you do? Of course, you know the turmoil that our country's in over the election. Tomorrow, tomorrow, they inaugurate, they, they inaugurate a new president that all of us know. I don't care whether you're Democrat or public. You, you, all of us know it's a fraud. And I've got one man in my church. He calls me, and he called me today several times, and he's... He's one of these guys that reads all of these blogs and websites, and he's just convinced. He's just convinced that, boy, it's all to set up in tomorrow that they're going to arrest him, and, and all the Democrats and half the Republicans are going to ship him to get Mo, and it's all going to be great. And, and, and I, I hate to tell you this, I think tomorrow Joe Biden's going to be your president. And, and that's just what it's going to be, and, and here we go. And, and it, it's been a year. And if you thought that 2020 was a doozy, Stick around for this one. And it's not just national, but sometimes it, it hits home close, close to home. It's an amazing thing, Brother Gravely, that you can have church. We did this Sunday. We had church. We had great services. And I mean, the singing was on, and I had liberty in preaching. We had people at the altar. And the Sunday night when it's over, it's one of those Sundays, man, it was a great day. We had first-time visitors. I mean, this is, man, well, this, man, this was good. And somebody comes right up to you and says, hey, preacher, can we talk? Now, when somebody comes to you, Brother Gravely, and says, hey, preacher, do you mind if we talk? Your first thought as a pastor is, oh, man, they're getting ready to give a big offering to the church. That's not what you think. No. No, when, when somebody comes to me, they did Sunday night, hey, preacher, do you have a few minutes? I'm like, oh. I guess I do. Let's go talk. It, when somebody says, hey, preacher, can we talk? That's usually not good. You don't want to talk to the preacher when everything's going fine. You, you, but, when, but when trouble happens, it's, it's, hey, preacher, can we meet? And that happened Sunday in our church. I mean, we, we got the power of God moving in our place. And I mean, I mean, God's moving, God's moving. And in the last three days, we've had more disastrous hit than, than you can shake a stick at. And I'm careful what I say because if this is being streamed, I don't know. And if it is, there'll be people in our church that are watching the service tonight. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything specific. But one of my best, fam one of my best families in the church. I mean, I mean, I mean, solid gold. And Saturday night, a child comes in and and crushing, crushing news, crushing news. And this morning, I'm in, I'm in the room reading, and one of my men calls. He says, "Hey, preacher, just want you to know." He said, we've got to go to Michigan. My dad's dying. So would you pray for us? And five minutes later, a lady in my church, senior lady, calls. And she said, just want you to know what our family's dealing with. Um, he's got beginning stages of Alzheimer's. That's going to be a long journey. A long journey. It's, it's, it's not just national. It's, 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 it's personal. Personal. And, and when, 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 you're, when you're facing troubles and things like that, it's when you come to verse that though it is old, it's still fresh. And we know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, the message of Romans 8.28 is that there is meaning in misfortune. There's misfortune in life, but there is a message 
behind it. And though it's a very familiar verse, it's a very comforting verse, it is often a misunderstand verse. But what Paul is trying to do is he is trying to get us to see beyond and to recognize how limited our understanding of life is and for you and I as believers to know that no matter what happens tomorrow in Washington or tomorrow in your house, that God is still sovereign. It's a very misunderstood verse because I think that we tend to read what we want to read just like we hear what we want to hear. And a lot of people read Romans 8, 28 and they read it as a kind of a Pollyanna positive outlook on life and and, and everything's going to turn to your happiness and your riches and, and health and wealth. And that approach really denies the reality of suffering and, and evil in our life. And I don't think it is of any help to say, don't worry, be happy, your trouble is not too bad. That's not what the verse says. Amen. And when you take a verse like this and you, you reduce it to a placard or a wall hanging or a bumper sticker, it, it tends to become trivialized. But you understand that the promise of a verse like this hangs on the sovereignty of God. And there is nothing trivial about that. There is actually a very deep truth that is embedded in this promise. I think another mistake that we make is that oftentimes we quote Romans 8.28 to a believer when they are in the throes of grief because we don't know what else to say. How often have we, not knowing what else to say, said, well, well, brother, brother, all things work together for good, and that's true. But sometimes in grief, a brother doesn't really need another verse. He already knows what Psalm 23 says, so, so maybe he just needs some practical help. Maybe he needs somebody just to cry with him. And, the, and if the best thing that you can do is quote a Bible verse because you don't know what else to say, then, then maybe... Maybe it's time just to weep with that brother. That may not be the time to quote the verse to him. It's a very short promise. It's only 25 words. It's a very simple promise. Because all but three words in the verse are single syllable words. And we know that all things work together for good to them that are called according, or to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It is literally written on a very elementary level. So no matter your level of education, you can understand that promise. But in a verse of very short one-syllable words, it is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. It is not a cliche. It is not a platitude. It is a rich promise. And the promise is that if you love God, that every situation in your life will work out for your good. Now, now, if you are going through a circumstance right now, you may say, I believe it because it's in the Bible, but I sure don't see how. And if you have suffered under a cloud of suffering for a long time, then you might be tempted to say all things except this one thing. Preacher, after the service, let me just tell you what I'm going through and you'll modify your sermon. It's been so many years, I'm still suffering. I don't see any good that has come out of it, but here's what you need to do. You just need to read it. 
And you just need to believe it. And you just need to rest in the promise and ask the Lord to help us understand the simple promise of Romans 8 in verse 28 that there is meaning behind misfortune. Very quickly, I want you to notice in verse 28 that it is a certain promise. And we know. You know, when you go back to Romans chapter 8, there's a lot of suffering in this chapter. If you back up to chapter 8 and verse 17. If children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified therein together. But I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Look down at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. So, so there's a lot of suffering in this verse. And I, I hesitate to say anything about, about the, the Chinese virus, the, the COVID-19, because it's been so hyped up and millions and millions of people didn't die in the states like we were told, but it was real. And in every hospital, in every cemetery is a reminder of the sufferings of this world. But there are two common experiences that you and I have in our suffering. Look if you would in verse number 25. He says in verse 25, but if we hope for that, we see not. That's common. We don't see the end of it. We don't see how it's going to work out. I don't see what the Lord is doing. I don't see why this had to happen. There's a lot of times I don't see. And then in verse number 26, likewise the Spirit also helped with our infirmities for we know not. You can ask your preacher, he's not going to know either. You can ask your psychiatrist, he's probably not going to know either. I had, I, had, I had three situations on Sunday preaching, what do I do? I don't know. I, I, in every situation that I've dealt with in the last two or three days, I gave them an answer, but it wasn't the answer. I, I don't have the answer. And there are some questions to life that you don't have the answer to. There are some mysteries to the ways of God that you will not understand this side of glory. Why do some get a disease and others do not? Why do some children die and others outlive their parents? And the problem with life is that we don't see and we don't know. Don't know. One of the things that I personally struggle with is I think that every faithful preacher of the gospel ought to die with dignity and, and honor and recognition. And it just seems like to me that it's only right that if a man spends 40, 50 years devoting his life to the gospel ministry, at least he could go out in a blaze of glory. That just seems right to me. And it doesn't always happen. I've known great men of God. I'm thinking of one right now. I'm thinking of one right I mean, a great man of God. And he has cancer. His wife has Alzheimer's. And his ministry is over. And it's a very sad thing to me that that's how God is going to take him home. And as great a man as he is, I, I, just, I just don't, I, I don't understand why that would be his end. I have to confess that I don't see and, 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 and I don't know. But in the context of not seeing and not knowing, he then says, but there is something that you can know. In all the uncertainty, there is one thing that you can be certain of and we know. Preacher, I don't, I don't feel like it's going to work out. That's why it doesn't say and we feel. Well, preacher, I, I hope it'll alternate. It doesn't say that we hope. 
It is a promise. It is a promise that you can claim. It is a confidence that you can trust that in the midst of uncertainties, who knows what's going to happen the next few months in our country, but there is one thing that you can know for sure, that there is a sovereign God that sees everything that you go through, and he will, in his power and in his wisdom, he will work it out for good. So, preacher, how do you know that? I'll tell you how I know that. Because I know him. That's how I know that. I know that he's true. And I know that his promises are real. And I know that his character is faithful. And I'm not trusting chance. And I, I'm not depending on good luck. And I'm not worried about karma. No, I know him. I don't have the answers. Tell me a problem. I'll give you an answer, but I don't know that it's the answer. But I know him. And because I know him, I believe this promise. You know, when the pandemic hit, we, we were so, we, we heard so many things. We were jaded, all, all of it. Pastors wondered what to do. We shut down and we keep going. We knew it was real. We knew it was hyped and we're stuck in the middle. Yeah. Hey, can I give you some news? It's not going away. That's right. yeah. it's, it's here to stay. Right. It is. We, we're going to have another wave of it. Yeah. And, and, and government's going to weaponize it. And, and, and we've got more hard decisions to make. And you don't know who to believe, who to trust. And, and, and you just don't know. And, and some, some believe less and some believe more. And we all just got fed up with it. It's here. But we know. It's a certain promise. Would, would you notice it is a comprehensive promise? And we know that all things. Now, it doesn't say that God causes all things. Because some people immediately look to God and say, God, why did you cause this to happen? God doesn't create evil. God doesn't create sin. He allows sin in our world. He allows the curse to run its course. God doesn't cause all things. And then notice, notice that it does not say that all things are good. Sin's not good. Suffering is not fun. Disasters are not good things. And just to run around calling everything a good thing, that's a cavalier attitude that denies reality. If you come tell me that you found out that you have cancer, I'm not going to say, praise God, that's good. So, so you have to be careful to not to impose a false idea upon the text. And here's the word that we all have problems with. It's the word all. Because we would like for it to say most things, but all means all. And I don't know how it is in your Bible, but in my Bible, there's no footnote at the bottom of the page to explain the word. There's no asterisk beside the word to clarify it. No, all means all. So what you have to do is you have to take it for what it says, no limits, no boundaries, no exceptions, all. And did you know there is a lot of stuff that you can put in the category of all? There really is. I mean, I mean, betrayals and, and disappointments and lost jobs and bad health and mistakes and misunderstandings and divorces and bankruptcies and dark things and bright things and bitter things and financial. I mean, there is a lot of stuff that fits under the category of all. And all of those things are not good things. But a sovereign God can take even the bad things and use it to work something good in your life. 
In fact, later in the chapter, Paul will even name some things. He will, he will go through a litany. He will talk about tribulation and distress and persecutions and famine and nakedness and peril. And he's not just pulling things out of the sky. He actually experienced all of those things. So the context of a man who has experienced a lot of things can still say, yet still all things. And if you just think about it, what it says about the power and the sovereignty of God. Because the heathen have a God that control the weather. And they have another God that control the rain. And they have another God that control the crops. But they've yet to come up with a God that control the doll. I got the God that if I wanted to rain, I'll pray to this God. And I got a God, if I need to do something, I'll pray to this God. Seems like it'd be a whole lot better system if you had just one God that could just do it all. Huh? And, 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 and there's not another God who can say that I have all things in my hand. And since God is working it all together, then the more things that you can include in the category of all, then the more it says about the power of God. Amen. Amen. If, if you can do two things at one time, you're a talented fellow. If you can pat your head and rub your stomach, you're talented. Add juggling to the mix. You're probably tapped out about right there, right? Two, good, three, you are supernatural. I mean, you're really big. But I'm gonna tell you something. God controls all things at all times for all believers. I don't know if you believe that or not. I do believe that. And he might be working in your life right now, but that doesn't mean that he has less time to be devoted to my life. He never gets so overwhelmed with your problems that he doesn't have time to take care of my problems too. Think about it, think about it, think about it. If, if the word is not all, then there's no comfort in the verse. Right? If the promise is not all-encompassing, then the promise don't really mean anything. If it is not all things, then you and I are going to wonder what's not included in the all. Right? I mean, I mean you would be able to say this trial, this one, doesn't have a good end to it. You'd be able to say God's not going to be able to do anything with that hardship. You would say most things, but, but this valley that I'm going through is going to be wasted because this one is not included in this verse. But when he says all things, that is the only way that the promise means anything at all because then you can point to any misfortune in life and say there is a message in it somehow. I, I give you a good illustration of the life of David David's life was marred by two great sins. Adultery with Bathsheba and, and numbering the people. Those are the two great sins that really hurt him the most. The sin of Bathsheba paid fourfold through his family. The sins of numbering the people plagued and killed thousands and thousands of people. And God doesn't create sin. God, God didn't cause that. And David paid a very high price for that sin. So how could God make anything good out of that tragedy. You know out of his marriage with Bathsheba, they had a son. Know that, right? Solomon? You know out of that sin with um, that, that, that sin with that plague he had, that David, David bought a mountain where he could make sacrifices to end the plague. That mountain was Mount Moriah. Out of one son, sin came a son named Solomon. Out of the other sin came a mountain Named Moriah. What could God possibly do with that? 
By the way, did you know that the son that was the product of the one dark sin's life would one day build a temple on that mountain that came out of the other dark side of his life? And only God, only God can take something that could come out of those two dark instances and bring them together and give Israel a temple to worship him on that mountain. It's not an encouragement to sin, please understand, but it is an encouragement to go and just serve God and let him take care of the I'm telling you that God can take even your mistakes, he can take even your failures, he can take even your sins, and he can put them in all things. It's a certain promise, it is a comprehensive promise. It is a continuous promise. And we know that all things work together. Not, not by cosmic chance, no. But there is something that will make them work together. It is not just hold on and let's see and oh, somehow, some way, by some random doings, I'm sure something good will come. No. We understand that they will work together because someone bigger than the things is going to direct and mold all of these things into a beautiful tapestry. It tells you that God's always moving and God's always working and God's always involved. It tells you that there's a mystery deeper than us behind the workings of God. Romans 11 and verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And really you could bring those two verses together because it is through the wisdom and the knowledge of God that he does work things together for our good. He doesn't change everything we would like for him to do, no. He takes those circumstances and he weaves something beautiful out of that. The truth is, is if you change the circumstances, you rob God of an opportunity to do something great in your life. There's an illustration that's given a lot about this. It's a, and I've read the story many times, and I tracked down the, the origin of the story. And the original story was told by an old preacher in Great Britain. His name was Hanley Mole. Hanley Mole was a um, bishop in the Anglican Church in the 1800s. Very distinguished preacher, was a chaplain of Queen Victoria. You probably read some of his books, you know who I'm talking about. Wrote over 60 books, a lot of poems, a lot of songs. And the story is that one day there was a mine, a coal mine in England that collapsed. There was men trapped under the earth and there was no way to rescue them. And so all of those men that were trapped in that mine had died. And all of the families in the community had gathered out there at the mine and there was so much mourning and weeping, just, just great tragedy. And somebody called preacher Henley Mole. Henley Mole would come and counsel, talk to the families. Very difficult to understand. Why, why would God let this happen? But how do you trust God in the darkest of the night? So Henley Mole stood out there at that coal mine and all those grieving families and the community that's crushed and looking for something to say. And Henley Mole took a bookmark out of his Bible. And he said, I have a bookmark that was given to me by my mother and it's got some weavings and crochet on it. And he held up the back of that bookmark and on the back of just a tangled web of threads and yarn. You, you know what I'm talking about. And he said, oftentimes that's what life looks like. Make any sense. And he turned the bookmark over. Now on the other side, she had stitched in that little piece of plastic. God is love. And he says sometimes all that we see is the tangled web of threads that make 
no sense. But one day, one day God will show us the other side. And he'll show us all along behind all those tangled webs that he was waving, weaving something beautiful. A little boy was being raised in a modest home not far outside of Paris, early 1800s. His father was a leather worker. His little boy would often come and play in the leather workshop. When he was three years old, the little boy, his name was Louis, little boy, had an awl and had a piece of leather trying to punch a hole in it like his daddy would. And, uh, and he pressed, he was pressing just as hard as he could. And, and that all slipped and it jabbed him in one of his eyes. They rushed him to the hospital in Paris. The doctors were not able to save that eye. But that eye became so infected that the infection jumped to the other eye. And by the time that he was five years old, little Louis was blind. He didn't understand what it meant to be blind. And so he would often ask, why is it always dark outside? Great tragedy. Lewis grew up, went on to become a very educated, very talented man, became a teacher, musician, played organs in churches all over France. What Lewis was most known for, though, was he, um, he created a system of reading for the blind by, by raised dots on a piece of wood, Lewis Braille, the Braille system. That's how that came about. But when he created that system, he used an awl to create it. Only, only God could take the very tool that causes the blindness and use it to create something that will bless millions of lives down the road. It's a continuous promise. Would you notice a constructive promise? We know that all things work together for good. Now, good is such a broad word, we have to ask, what is the good talking about? Does this mean that if you're sick, you will eventually be cured, you'll have good health? Does it mean that you've gone bankrupt, just hold on, you're going to get a million soon enough? The prosperity gospel preachers would have you to believe that's what it's talking about. But the good is actually defined in the following verse. The ultimate goal is to conform you to the image of Christ for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm going to tell you, there's no good that's better than that. Now that may disappoint you, but if you love God, that won't disappoint you. And maybe God has that misfortune in your life to purge you, to cleanse you. Maybe God takes that disaster to break your heart, to work in you some patience and, and some compassion for somebody else. But God takes the disappointing things in life not to make you rich, not to guarantee health, no. But he uses it as a tool to teach us and to shape us and to conform us to Christ. I, I think about suffering. Suffering is never a good thing. And sometimes we suffer because of sin. Sometimes it's because we live in a sin-cursed world. I have people in my church that live with pain in their body 24 hours a day. I have people in my body have a chronic illness. News today, a man in our church. I, I, yeah. But suffering is the school whereby God teaches us kindness, and sympathy, and compassion, and patience. Gravely, you'll understand this. I've had so many people in my church suffer last year that I think that last I've been a pastor for 25 years. Last year I was a shepherd. Yeah. Suffering. 
Suffering teaches you to hate sin. Suffering helps you to see sin in you. Suffering drives you to God. I think about struggling. Struggling is not a good thing. So sometimes it's suffering. Sometimes it is temptation. And the thing that we struggle with the most it is our flesh. And God never tempts us, but he does allow us to be tempted. But then God can take the temptation that you struggle and he can work in your life something good through that because temptation will drive you to your knees to pray. Temptation, temptation will devastate your spiritual pride. Temptation will teach you to lean on the strength of Christ. Temptation will make you long for heaven. Work is something good. I want you to notice finally it's a conditional promise. Here's the fine print. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. See, that's the condition that has to be met. I can't apply this verse to everybody. This verse may not even apply to everybody in this room. If you don't love God and you're not part of God's family, I'm going to tell you there's nothing good coming for you. I'm telling you nothing but condemnation and eternal damnation. That's what you've got to look for. If you die without Christ, there's nothing good waiting for you. But it's for them that love God. That's the human side of things. And Paul doesn't say that as long as your love for God waxes hot, that God will work with you. But if your love wanes cold, then then God's not going to. No, that's not what he's saying. But can you say that you love God? How can you claim the promises of somebody that you don't love? And then here's the other one. Called according to his purpose. That's the divine side of things. If man is going to do of anything of significance, he has to have a purpose and a plan. And what it is telling you is that God has a purpose. And if he didn't have a purpose, then he couldn't work all things out for that purpose. And if he does have a purpose, he's able to pull it off. And your trials are not going to sabotage his plan. God has a purpose. And nothing can thwart that purpose. Amen. I think the ever preacher that has ever preached Romans 8 28 has used the same illustration. I don't know if this text has ever been preached without a preacher talking about the ingredients of a cake. You take the ingredients of a cake, none of them are good. Salt, eggs, cake mix, vanilla extract. There's nothing that you put into a cake that is good by itself. But when the baker takes all of those ingredients, mixes them all together, pours it in a pan, puts it in the oven, and then it comes out, all of those ingredients that by themselves are so bitter somehow have come together and they've made a delicious cake. That's what God can do in your life. That everything in your life that is bitter, you can take all of those things and you can make something beautiful out of it. Can I tell you, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I believe that tomorrow night you have a new president. Our country could be headed for dark days. I don't know. I suspect that it will be. The economy, it's a paper economy. It's a fake economy. I expect that abortion rights are going to be increased. I, I, I could go on and on and on. There's a lot of turmoil in our country. And there's a lot of Christians that are worried to death. What does tomorrow hold? 
This morning I got up and I sat down on that little couch in that room and I read my Bible and I prayed and I worked on a sermon. And tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to work on a sermon. And Thursday I'm going to get up and I'm going to read my Bible I'm going to pray I'm going to work on a sermon and I'm just going to serve God. I served him when Trump was my president. I'll serve him when Biden is my president. I'll serve him when Harris is my president. When the economy's good, I served him. If the economy's bad, I'm going to serve him. They said, well, if you keep preaching, they'll send you to jail. Then I'll have a jail ministry. I'll serve him there. And if family leaves you, then you may have to serve him alone. But do you understand that nothing that happens in Washington, D.C. has affected heaven. And nothing that happens in your life affects heaven. He is still God. He is still sovereign. He is still on his throne. He is still able to take care of me. And tomorrow I have no more reason to worry than I did yesterday.